Wild. Time for a start show. Trouble to feed audience. <coughs> Good evening, lords and ladies. You have chosen your evening's entertainment quite wisely. You are about to experience the most wondrous spectacle in all of Western Scott Hallier. I am your host proprietor, Romande Zwarvinde, and I welcome you to the Twenty Sided Theatre. Dancing lights! rises and we rejoin our heroes, Romande's Warvinde's own insufferable bastards. It is my pride and joy to introduce my underlings, or as they prefer to be referred, adventuring companions. Dark brother Smid Caltrops, the half-bear monk and president of Bear Industries, a shapeshifter of near insurmountable strength and speed. <coughs> I have no idea where we are, but I hope we get home soon. My fur is starting to get all matted and magey! Thrimlock Linanian, a blindfolded elf sorcerer with a blackened potato perched on one shoulder and a reanimated stitched raven on the other. He is attended by his minions, Torea Marsvale, an undead paladin, and Sir Gnome. His faithful gnome skeleton valet. Come along, Terea. Yes, Lord Thrimlock. Uh, you too, Sir Gnome. And don't think for a second that I've forgiven you for naming your so-called daughter Thrimlet. No, master. Imanon Shinuda. He is known throughout the Empire as the Weaponsmith, and he serves as president and spokesman of the Shinuda Necromancy Corporation. A mummified human wizard, accompanied by his skeletal cat familiar, Bastet. Yes, yes, just get through with this as soon as you can. I really must return to my workshop in the Swamp Pyramid soon. Issa Featherfoot, Pengonquin Princess. A seven-foot-tall, shape-shifting penguin assassin. She is attended by her faithful and oft-missing bodyguard, the mysterious Tuxedo Beak. I really miss that old disembodied voice. I wish there was a way to disembody Romande's voice. No, wait, that'd be awful. Then I wouldn't be able to give him the old peck-peck when he makes puns. Puns aren't the worst thing in the plains you can deal with, Fishball Head. There are also seals. A tiny thief of questionable gender. A master magician of variable size. Thorn, the Trixie Pixie. This is still your fault, bud. Don't think that any of us have forgiven you for leading us on a wild monkey chase. The terrible, towering Maldreth the Impious, the ogre-blooded patriarch of the Church of War, dedicated to Makar, father of strife. 
Ugh, how disappointed I am that I was able to visit the great arena of all crap so recently, but it had to be with you, band of simpletons. The new addition to my team, Steve the Chameleon Pie Rabbit. Thoroughly odorless, colorless, and deadly. Look, I just want to get out of here. I thought you guys might have the best chance, so I snuck out of my cell and followed you. His Majestic Terror, Vrogel, son of Vorbel, King of Town Hall, King of Wagon, King of Docks, King of Wife, King of Axe, and Baron of Keepfield. Attended by the even more majestic and far more terrifying Ethermother, Queen of Vrogel, and their infant son, Vrigel. Eve, Hawthork, me never be so proud in whole life. Be King of Sun. Me be prouder if you get up for change you sun's nappy once in while. And last, but most certainly not least, yours truly, the inexplainable Romande Zwarvinde, bard in extraordinaire, beloved of trillions, the light of the breaking dawn. <clears throat> get on with it. An elven bard of pandimensional acclaim. But you already knew that, didn't you? Lords and ladies of my beloved audience, please adjust your listening devices to receive the whole stereophonic, scryocastic smorgasbord of sound that is the 20-sided theater. Recline upon your gilded seats, quaff your libations, and thoroughly enjoy your evening with us. Thus far in the tale of Romandes Warfindes' insufferable bastards, our heroes... And I'm so very glad that no body and no voice is around to dispute that verbiage. Have traveled from the kingdom of Scotalia through the plain of potatoes, where they were captured and sold to the great horrible one and his demiplanar arena of our crap. After many trials and adventures, we have finally earned the right to leave that terrible place and make our way home. But one trial awaits us still. Escape from the place between planes, a nightmare realm of astral unreality. All we know is that we must search for and pass through some sort of monument that the Great Horrible One has called the Gates of Dawn. And now we present our feature episode, The Twenty-Sided Theater Across the Astral Planes. We passed through the Great Archway rising from the sands, and from all around came a great tumult, like an angry sea god shaking the foundations of some unfortunate coastal city. Great whooshing howls tore through my skull, and my flesh burned until I was sure that only my incandescent soul remained. Skin and bone and gut all drifted away, leaving only a kernel of raw perspective. I lost track of my companions my fearless and ruthless bastards, so I cannot relay their experiences, only my own. And just as suddenly as they arose, all of these sensations ceased. We all stood at the terminus of the Great Horrible One's gate. Well, perhaps stood gives the wrong impression, for all round us sparkled a variegated skyscape. Stars winked at us from their great distances, while colorful strands of disembodied thought wended their ways around and through us. Then clouds of stardust descended upon my party like the evening fogs of Oakvale, 
obscuring our view of platonically interacting sentences. With a little experimentation, we found movement possible. Most of us found walking a decent travel metaphor, within this non-plane of reality at least. And as soon as we took our first tentative steps beyond the star fog, your savior appeared to finally shut the bard up. Hooray, the giant voice is back to tell us exactly which ways Romande has screwed up. Whoa, who's that? Oh, just some voice that follows us around and helps us with our adventures. Unless Romande screws it up and upsets the voice again. Thank you for your vote of confidence, Isa. Now, Romande has already explained where you all are, so... Oh, wait. Crap. Those aren't supposed to... Hit the deck and roll initiatives! Why are all those animal people heading towards us? There's something really weird about them, and it's not just the magical auras I'm sensing. Racist? Animal people are people too, you know. Yeah. The Empire even issued that amendment to their Articles of Conglomeration to make it legal. As if it shouldn't have been obvious from the beginning. I think he was referring to the empty, crusted sockets where their eyes should be. Uh, these portents are quite unsettling. Who's the racist now? As a non-eyed being, I am highly offended. Not just that, you idiot. All species are inferior, mostly to Makar and his faithful servants. Anyway, all of those things seem to be the denizens sent by the hungering end. If they get their hooks into this place, many more realities will be done for. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Brother Caltrops? I think so, Father Maldreth. But where are we going to get enough fast-acting cyanoid poison? to take all of us down peacefully before the enemy gets here. No, you nincompoop. The same thing we do every day and every night, brother Caltrops. Kill them all! The howling beasts converge on you from all directions. And I do mean all directions. Like, 36,000 degrees one. Plus, you guys aren't really all that good at navigating in three dimensions. So you'll probably fail now that you're drifting in five. All right, quickly now, gotta focus. Everybody make a will save so you can see your surroundings from a more familiar set of angles. They closed in on us from all sides, just as we were still gaining what can only be described as our sea legs for this place between planes. And while Ramande was penning his notes, it distracted him from the oily black beams of terrifying magic that shot out from the enemy's empty eye sockets. I need Romande, Steve, Issa, and Smid to all make will saves against the intelligence draining effects of the hungry. Whoa! That was close! Luckily, I have that lizardly dexterity! Yeah, and the super-articulated joints in your vertebrae certainly don't hurt. Especially when you use them to dodge those black beams that leave mind-smashingly white streaks across your familiar's vision. Speaking of black things with white streaks, how you doing, Penguin? What just happened? Can I still fly? How is that possible? She didn't even cast any spells that time! 
It's unnatural. The Warfather is very displeased that the Penguin has found one bit of reality in which she can naturally fly, and she isn't using that ability to make war on our enemies. Perhaps if I call her, she'll snap back to attention. She's pretty far away, though. I'd better cast a greater shout, and then speak in Penguin, just to be sure she understands me. Ahem. Walk weck. Weck walk isa walk weck it. What? What do you mean it's time for tea and cakes at the petting zoo? I'd better come down there and see what's happening. Ooh, maybe I'll get to pet and I'll pack on their Fortunately for you, the sonic vibrations from Romande's poor attempts at interlinguistic communication also strike three of the attacking denizens. The one with a boar's head and the one that looks like an emaciated gnome both softly pop and then drift away like ash on the breeze. Unfortunately for you, this leaves six more within striking range. Nobody blast the CEO of Bear Industries! Um, Brother Caltrops, you have killed that particular enemy already. You're really not wrestling anymore, so you can stop clawing and biting. <laughs> the big daddy thinks he's a doggy. Look, he's even chasing his tail! I kinda like him this way. Can we keep him, Drea? Huh? Can we? Please? I think you had better deal with those abominable demons around us first, Lord Frimlock. Two more enemies swoop in, one an insectoid being, and the other some ethnic variation on the basic human species type. Both sport the emblematic empty eye sockets and the massive body piercings that you have come to associate with the hunger again. The insectoid closes in on Imanon, grazing his shoulder with razor-like mantis claws. Give me a will save, mummy. I am highly displeased by this. Things. Imposition on my personal space. I shall encapsulate both of us within my cube of force. This will ensure that he cannot escape the spell I have been researching. Shenouda's prismatic tomb. The cube of force is completely filled with striated and dancing prismatic energies. When the ripples of light interact in just the right way, you can see Imanon at the center of the cube, serene and seemingly asleep, with his arms crossed on his chest. He is unharmed and unworried by the waves of elemental magic flowing around him. You see nothing of the insectoid within the cube. You know where I haven't sent people in a while? Come here, you human from some place I can't identify. I'd like you to visit the Char's Plane Ship. I sure hope that total chef you exiled there isn't still alive and looking for revenge or anything like that. Meh, even if he is, there's no way he'll somehow forge an unlikely alliance with the giant bugs and the giant robots just for the merest shred of hope to survive in the face of the hungering end. And if he does, how is he going to find us? It's not like we stay in one place all that long. You know, you guys need to fill me in on all this backstory sometime. It sounds like you've been doing this for a while now. 
But even the bard didn't think to take notes until recently. I had assumed that the voice was taking notes. But then I realized he probably doesn't have hands, so I started penning my own memoranda. While you all stand around discussing the probability and the hope that your universe is not ruled by some sort of omnipotently devious sociopathic overlord with a penchant for dramatic irony, the last three enemies all open fire on Thor, Malbreth, and Rob. You have to be fast, I won't give it to me. Let's see how quick you are against my scorching rays. I am protected by the unholy might of the Father of War. These lonely demons are not worth raising my shield. I shall restore the wits of the penguin and the bear. I... I remember that story. The penguin and the bear was one of my favorite parables growing up. I always loved hearing the high priestess sing that one from the holy fish skin. That's not what I'm doing. And anyway, I'm pretty sure your witch doctor got the ending wrong. Most religions do. By the power of Makar's ever-keen paring knife, be restored. Um, so you're fine. But what about Roderick? I think I saw him get hit too. Who can tell with him anyway? Isn't that right, Bravo? Be king of weird place. Be defeat all no eyes. Except baby Thrimlork. You know, since we already defeated him in the past, at least that what talking of said to you. With the hungry men dispatched for now, you finally have a chance to take in your surroundings. A massive tower dominates one of your horizons. A pair of burnished copper gates that must stand at least a hundred feet high guard the tower's entrance. When you think of below you, you feel the firm touch of a paved street caress the soles of your feet. The ground beneath you is slowly taking the shape of a road, probably leading to the gates. The far end of the horizon darkens with approaching doom. Best to be out of here. For once, the elf speaks wisely and briefly. We ran at full tilt through the starry mists, pursued by the hordes of the hungering end. As we ran, the mists would clear and then settle again, giving us the impression of fleeing across multiple worlds. You storm out of the fog into the crystalline piazza of Brax, where Maldrath's anti-good zone still stands in effect, though the surroundings suggest a long passage of time. The crystal city is shattered, with blood and smoke staining the hard-grown minerals. Strange creatures prowl the streets. The howling from the demons of the end is overwhelming here. Hey, I remember this place. I still think it would look better stained a dark red color and festooned with chains. Come on! The mists part and the rolling hills of the Russet Range once again lay out before you. Les Arbes de Paul sway happily in the breeze. The potato lamp crawls lazily across the sky as the acolytes of entropy pursue you. Oh, not this place again! Move on! Sandaskar, the capital city of the Empire, opens its streets to you. But without the customary gate tax this time. The crowds bustle about, some dancing, some singing, some simply trying to catch a better glimpse of the Emperor's grand parade. Nobody seems to notice you or the throng of eyeless demons sweeping down from the heavens. Rumble won't watch parade. Look, Bravo, we can't stop for this. We want watch. 
parade. Ruggle, I shall provide a parade of your very own where you get to stand on one of those floats and wave. Just keep moving. Okay, but can me float have lots of big animal teeth on it? The fogs lift again, revealing a dungeon scape. Just ahead of you, a group of adventurers stands before a bas-relief. A known priest of some deity gives orders to a man with an axe, while a shapely harlequin juggles balls of fire in a corner. After a moment, a pale, blue-orred face emerges from the relief. They converse in some odd language, then continue through the dungeon, never aware of the pursuit raging around them. Oh, what a cute little gnome. I'd certainly trust anything coming out of his mouth. And his clean, hairy face would even make bad news seem a little less dreary. I certainly hope he doesn't die in a horrible accident somehow. Wait, so I'm not the only one who doesn't know what's going on anymore? This is great! I'm one of a group now! Come, Pixie! You too, Chameleon! Climb atop spirit of the swift wind with me, that we might make haste. You run through a thick wood now, your pursuers ever at your heels. The woods suddenly break and you find yourselves in a circle of standing stones. All around you a group of travelers goes about the business of the camp. A bushy-bearded dwarf uses his long spear to spit a boar, while a raggedy man in cat skins fights with an ostrich-sized reptile over a haunch of meat. Man, that looks tasty. Can't we stop here for a minute, boss? We most certainly cannot. Not with those demons on our heels, at least. Plus, I'm pretty sure we can't touch anything here. Sir Gnome certainly isn't allowed to touch anything, whether he's physically able to or not. Got that, Sir Gnome? Yes, Master. Touch nothing, Master. You stand amidst the tallest, straightest buildings that stone and glass has ever been piled into. All around you, great, roaring devices hurtle down tar black streets. This is by far the strangest place you've seen yet, and not simply for the squadron of uniformed men sliding up one of those buildings, or the rock-fisted man grappling with a were-tiger. Hey, if those guys can slide up buildings like that, why can't I fly in my home plane? You always make my heart fly, no matter the plane we're on. You'll always know that's true, fishball hat. Aw, I love you too, Tuxie. Can we please leave the lovesick penguins behind? Just this once when they're certain to die in a terrible way. And can we leave the family of orcs here too? And maybe the rest of you idiots should stay too, just to be safe. I'm pretty sure we're almost to the tower. Just a little farther. For a moment, you think that you have somehow been forced into an animal's den, but when your eyes adjust to the gloom, you see that it's actually a barn. The smell of animal comes from no farmyard creature, though. Three cat-sized rats sleep in a pile with two dire wolves. Nearby, a pair of priests chant their prayers, while a woman and a man stare deeply into each other's eyes, trying desperately to avoid contact with some sort of octopus man wearing mage's robes. That remind me, it's time for change Briggle Diaper. Froggle, you be good, Husbork, and change you son. No, me pretty sure that not good idea. Remember last time? Me pin him diaper to him butt, 
then get blindfolded elf use magic for change him into something else. You get real mad at that. <sighs> Fine! You kneel down and spread wing. Me need big changing table. Maybe us need smaller blanket for make diaper? And maybe now isn't the time to stop since the tower is right over there. Reality shifts one last time, and once again you stand squarely in the astral space between the planes. You hurry through a huge set of gates and into the outer courtyard of the Tower of the Sun. There, you meet a squadron of familiar faces. Whoa, I used to help them stir these guys up on my wall when I was a teenager. Sounds like you had a pretty good adolescence. If you had a room with a poster in it, and you could recognize people, my youth was spent thieving from caravans in a swamp near a big old temple. And then, when I turned 15, I woke up in a cell. Thanks for the backstory, Steve. Nobody asked. And yet, no matter how many times I ask, nobody will answer. Watch. Hey, Bear! Who the hell are these red-gloved musicians standing in front of us? Oh, great. Not these guys again. They're always such jerks. Ugh, I hate these guys. This time I'll finish them off for sure. As do I. For it is never good news when my sister and her group of minstrel assassins crosses our path. Ugh. Better get this over with. Hello, Isriana. It's good to see you again. How is fame and success with your progressive music band going? What were you called again? Thank you for that reminder, Thorn. The entire band of the Red Hands stands before you, each of them wearing scarlet gloves on their left manual appendages. Would you like to introduce them, Romande? Or should I? I would rather have nothing to do with any of this. I wish I were at home on my traveling theater ship, sailing as far away from this moment as possible. It is my pleasure to introduce the members of the most popular band on the Imperial Scrynet. Dancer, vocalist, and body-based percussionist, Israeana Alafinde. Bastard followers of my brother, the High Seer of Veladros' holy and benevolent empire, has ordered your destruction. On vocals and drums, the great war chanter, Joran Swift River. Lord Gwaven told us you cannot be allowed to return through the gates of dawn. Designer of visual effects and current owner of the stellar sitar of Sitalian Mar, the enhanced vampire, Zolan the Mesmerist. If you does, peoples will die. Trillzians. Whole worlds reduced to their basics, parsticles. The human monk who had six extra arms grafted to his torso before mastering dwarven throat singing, Ragnaroctopus Jones. A crime's not yet committed. Crimes that have been witnessed by Darius Waven, Lord Highseer. You have been sentenced to death. Head teamster and the first being ever to implant maracas into the hilts of his scimitars, Shakes the Centaur. Now kill? Yes, dear. Now kill. Oh, screw this! Time to vanish! Where does it go? 
Oh well, we have more important things for you. <clears throat> hey, you, stupid horseman! Why do you need order for no win kill? Only stupid peoples win by kill. Even Spirit of Swift Wind know this. Probably teach you how to defeat with no kill. Ah, not my fault! I see our shake kill, so as kill! You always wisest ruler, Husbor. Now you go hit Horseman while me and Griggle take care of Adar. The Dread Queen of Town Hall bounds across the central square. The infant half-orc prince happily gurgling in a sling tied around his mother's midsection. If her mother never breaks her stride as she opens her flurry with a backspinning heel kick. The speed and grace of her attack catches Riker Octopus unaware, but his long training and his eight arms bat away her next three strikes. The two monks tangle in each other's steely grips, neither gaining advantage, until the dread Ifermother's foot snakes around Ragnaroctopus's right leg, hooking behind his knee. Both grapplers strike the ground, Ifermother landing atop her eight-armed opponent. She uses the force of gravity to augment a forearm strike to the throat. The next action in the battle against my sister's irritating musical troupe was an affront against bards everywhere. As the centaur reached within himself and used what little grace lay in his soul to begin a song of inspiration. Rhythmless shaking of maracas rang out throughout the courtyard, offending me to my glittery and incandescent core. We study up on Game Stride Crystal. You heavy hitter, Mr. Wingart. No supposed to engage for too long while Squishy's still up. So I follow plan and I get medal. Hey, where you going, Fourfoots? He's just starting to have fun! Go, Bruggle! Don't slap the horse on the ass when he's pointing this way! Oh, dear God, so don't get between me and that centaur! Can't Torea do it, Martha? She's much better at defense than I am. And I have a family to think about now. What? Did you just refuse a direct order, Sonome? Are you developing some sort of rudimentary personality or something? No, Martha. I mean, yes, Martha. I'll take the brunt, Martha. You should not have struck me in the throat, Lady Yifamata, for I have trained with the Dwarven Brotherhood of Jekyll Iron Throat, and I have learned many disruptive, sonic tricks. Rappers broken, and Orcish mother and child are both hurled 73 feet upward, riding atop of the shockwave of a sonic boom. After the ringing in everybody's ears begins to fade away, you can hear a five-note chord emanating from the deep, bronze bell that is Ragnaroctopus's chest. Whoa! Hold on, little Briggle. This not you worst situation yet. Oh! Look! Me can see over walls. And there are lots of them no ice thing. Thems get lots closer than a stick. Luckily, me learn how slow falls, so Briggle be safe. Well, that's not so good as a backstrop for this battles. So instead, Let's get some Phastasmal's trains going! Sing, my stellar sitstar of Sitsalsian's Mar! Sings of the crystals covered planet with red suns! You knows, the ones that blues up after the laser-eyes baby escapes stits. What an amazingly beautiful city! This is like the crystal city of Brext, but infinitely more elegant. Well... Except for the angry red sun and the constant earthquakes, 
and the distant volcanic eruptions. Say, is this a real place? It was. We visited it when we were younger. The Red Suns didn't seem to be bad for vampires, so we stayed for a bit longer than we intended. But after I drank the bloods of the locals, the Suns didn't seem to bother me as much, no matter what its colors it is. Father Meldreth, the Patriarch of the Church of War, clears his throat, straightens his robes, and points a long, gnarled finger squarely at Joran Swift River, seated amidst his drum kit at the center of the Red Hand's highly posed tableau. Ahem, I've had enough sightseeing for multiple lifetimes. You are in my way and you shall be removed. O Makar of the Bad Touch, send your hand out to caress this drummer with your finger of death. Nope, I have extensive therapy for my childhood, so not even your weird, God-inspired finger can hurt me. Oh, well maybe we should find some new horrors in your adulthood. Like helplessly watching as a quickened mass harm cascades over you and your allies. <laughs> what? What's wrong with you guys? Oh, wait. You're not undead like I am. That's why you're not being healed right now. At least that stopped most of their odd world's music-inspired song. Just the Maracas and the Sitar are going now. And any Sitar. Even the legendary stellar sitar of Citalian Ma can be countersonged by any old piece of wood in the hands of the insilentable Romande's Wardbinde. And just to be sure I'm safe, I will stand right over here, near my dear friend Imminent and his cadaver collector. Oh, hello Steve. I didn't see you there. Shut up, Bard. I'm trying to get through all of this without dying. I won't wake up in a cell next time that happens. Standing behind that earth and stone construct won't save you from a drum quake. In the name of the Empire, you will die so that many more may live. How many fucking bards are in your sister's party, Romande? This is fucking ridiculous. More than enough bards, Penguin. And all of them cast long shadows. Long enough for me to shadow them. Once the effects of Maldred's farm spells subsided, Isriana rolls lightly to the left, into the shadow cast by Joran's 54-piece drum As she hits the shadow, she melts perfectly into it, disappearing immediately from sight. Damn! And I thought I could blend into shadows as well. At that moment, my worst nightmare came to life before my keen and clear elvish eyes. While I was safely behind the cadaver collector and winning a solo battle with another string-playing musician, the collector's shadow peeled upwards from the ground to my left. A shadow of my sister, Isreana Alafinde, now stood right next to me, a wicked dagger in each of her shadowy hands. So, naturally, I backed away from the unholy shadow. Right into the loving arms of your real sister. Unfortunately for you, dear brother, those arms are almost always in contact with my deadly ethereal knives. Ah! My kidneys! Both of them! Sister, I will harvest you for this! You can't harm my kidneys! I've met your friends, especially that weirdo Thrimlock. If he doesn't have spare parts and organs cloned for each of you, then I don't know who does. Isa! 
Izzy won't share her internal organs with me when I need them more than she does. Shut up, Bard, and just cast a Helix Bell on yourself. I'm going to take out the vampire with a sliding peck. Issa waddles a few paces, far more quickly than you'd expect from a seven-foot-tall penguin, and then launches herself down and forward. She slides almost 50 feet, off target by a good 20 degrees. Um, I think the penguins needs glasses. I'm overs here. I am not off target. Penguins are excellent at trick shots. Issa slides toward an outcropping of the strange crystals that make up the phantasmal city, picking up speed as she passes through a low-sloped dell in the ground. She hits the crystal at a high velocity, and then twists her body as she slides over the ramp. She hangs mid-air for a second at the top of her arm, and then she slams face-first into Zolov, striking him squarely in the chest with the point of her beak. I think that would have looked way better with some proper backing music. Oh, Tuxy, can you help Romande out? But don't tell him I cared about his music. I just care even less about his sister's band's music. Oh, of course I can, Fishball Head. This should help out the elf. Razor Fish! Tuxedo Beak launches forward, skidding across the courtyard on his belly, hurling three of his razor-sharp throwing fish as he goes. Each mithril fish holds a copper rose in its mouth, the fins all gleaming keenly. The penguin projects the first fish across the battlefield toward the shadow that Isriana is using to flank her brother, striking it squarely between the shoulder blades. The second, he hurls at Ragnaroctopus, catching the monk on one of his eight forearms. The third razorfish pirouettes in the air as it quickly closes the distance to Zolov, the krypton-fed vampire. Man. I love all the music and the crystals and the open air of this place. It reminds me of a cross between some of the old Bear Clan hoedown festivals and the hibernation holidays in the sacred crystal caves. <laughs> We've been to Bear Clan Farming Festival. Played headline on second stage, first time we ever go. Bear music just still about the worst thing Izzy say Centaur ever heard. How dare you speak ill of the Bear Clan or any of its weird cultural idiosyncrasies? You're gonna die for the insult, Centaur! Brutal talk! Ha! Yeah! 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 Gotta stand up still. Damned earthquake? Whatever kind of quake it is, I should really just start floating around on a disc like Imanon does. I'll have to quicken a touch of fatigue before I get up. <laughs> You'll miss his me, no eyes out. But the walking prismatic eye won't miss you. What? Torea, why are you and your not talking horse being as useless as Sir Gnome right now? Oh, my apologies, Lord Grimlock. Spirit of the Swift Wind and I were strategizing our next move, and we decided on... Rather than finish her sentence, Torea commands Spirit of the Swift Wind to rear up, stretching to five paces in height as he balances on his hind legs, just long enough to deliver two devastating moves to the thick skull of Shakes the Sentinel. Remind me of time older brother kicked me in head when I just hit puberty. 
Hopefully you won't be able to be reminded of anything once you've come into contact with logic. Who or what is logic? It is the name of my grand mace here, Lady Featherfoot. Observe the power of logic. What a dumb name for a mace. Did Spirit of the Swift Wind come up with that one? In fact, Lord Thrimlock, this name was bestowed upon my weapon by none other than Sir Gnome. What? Sir Gnome, is this true? Yes, Master. Shut up, Sir Gnome. I hate you. Yes, Master. And I hate this shadow that's attacking me even more than I hate my sister. Will someone please do something about it? I've got your back, Bob. Shadows tend to shrink when you shed light directly upon them. And how more directly can you apply light than with scorching rays? Ah, my shadow! You know that was still attached to me, right? Once I'm through with your stupid band, everything will be attached to you. In fact, I may make anybody present who has levels embarred into a one-being symphony. Especially if Roman Day ever stops being marginally useful to Mother Mayase's purposes. Imanon, stop supervillaining at them and do something. I swear, this whole party just gets less and less effective the more time we spend around Roman Day and his family. Keep your feathers on, Penguin. I will erect my cute force and then drop a weaponized prismatic wall and a quickened arc of lightning. The wall springs up, beginning as a two-dimensional plane that separates Zolov, Ragnaroktopus, and Joran from the rest of the battlefield. Almost as soon as it reaches its full height and breadth, the plane presses five feet backwards, leaving a swirling, prismatic afterimage that engulfs the vampire and the eight-armed monk. The two ends of the wall spark with unbridled electricity, and a bolt shoots through the center of the wall, which happens to intersect with the spaces currently occupied by the Red Hand's guitarist and throat singer. Paradoxically, if you are familiar with the extremely mortal tendencies of drummers, Joran is safe and unharmed behind his kit. It's not paradoxically. When I was very young, one of my chores was to keep the drum beat while the other members of my society pushed great stone slabs up monumental ramps. I don't harm drummers. Speaking of which... Imidon's cadaver collector charges through the prismatic wall, unaffected by any of its magical layers. It then crashes through the drum and stops before Jordan, looming over him from a piled height of ten feet. Far more quickly than anything of its size has any right to move, the collector snatches Jordan up in its massive fists and holds him aloft. I thought you said you don't harm drummers. I don't. However, I may enhance them at some future date. Your high dexterity makes you quite valuable. Once I disassemble you and part you out, that is. I guess that's better than the weaponized wall. You got that right. Uh, eight arms want out. Brago get you out. Brago king of out. Brago sweeps down from the sky, landing just to the other side of the wall from Ragnarok. 
vertex of his journey, Froggle circles one arm around the waist of his darling half-orc wife, lifting her from danger. With the other arm, he swings bloodless, his merciful great axe through the prismatic field. I didn't ask for this kind of help, or any help. Froggle no care. Froggle no hear you over sound of awesome blow! The eight-armed monk goes flying, but his flight path is quickly interrupted by the outer wall of the courtyard. Oh, that's not going well. Plan said to kill Squishies, but eyes am surrounded by not Squishy. Just improvise. Okay, Maraca Sword is be good for improvising. The centaur kicks up some crystalline dust from the phantasmal terrain as he begins to spin in circles. Within seconds, all you can see of shapes is a tornado of hooves and blades. Torea takes a hoop to the chest and nearly loses her balance atop spirit of her sword. She has helped the rest of the way down from her saddle by a scimitar blade that chases after the hoof. Still on the ground from the drum quake, Malgrath does not react as four cuts harmlessly glance away from his incredibly evil black arm. Smith catches a headbutt to his skull, which disorients him enough for a deep thrust to penetrate his head. I definitely think that the worst offense I've seen today has to be getting a metal fish thrown at. So, Ali. The eight-armed monk charges, spider-climbing over the cadaver collector to vault over Imanon's prismatic wall. His leap ends in the exact spot occupied by Tuxedo Beak. Eight fists slam into the well-dressed penguin, some more than once. Tuxedo! Good work, Ragsmer Octopus. The penguin ends to Straxkid. Let's be cast Dimension Storm! And the penguin won't be able to get out of the ways of this giant crushing beast. A ghostly hand, the palm of which must be five feet wide, suddenly appears behind Isa, and just as suddenly it closes its tree-like fingers around her in a tightening fist. Imanon, I don't think your sack of drummer pots will be much use to you after it suffers a storm of vengeance, and Makar shall show us his great favor in his high opinion my pastoral leadership by quickening the coming of harm to the center. Shadow, you go attack that pixie. I will fulfill the Emperor's orders and kill my elder brother. I truly am sorry, Mandy. I hate it when you call me Mandy. Do what you must, little sister. You always have. I will do as I wish. As I always have. Wait, what the? I know I'm using phantasmal cyanides, but there's usually a little more physical feedback than that. Ha <laughs> ha! That's because I cast Mislead and fled to the safety, using safety in its broadest sense, of Imanond and Maldreth. All done while you weren't paying attention to me. That has always been, and ever shall be, your downfall, little sister! I don't have time for you right now, Belt. And you probably don't want me to. Do you remember the story of the prodigal bard, who only ever came back to his father after he had spent all of his money and then eaten the sloth left over by raccoon farmers? It didn't end well for the bard. I will have you know, Father Malgreth, that I am quite well versed in all tropes and tales. But, did you know that there is a second version of the Prodigal Bard? I know that version. 
It ended with the bard getting his revenge by collapsing his father's house around the favorite brother's ears. Nobody asked you, drummer. Besides, don't you have your hands full right now? I know that Imanon's cadaver collector certainly has its hands full. I do have my hands full. Full of sonic drumsticks. How dare you attack my cadaver collector with the one type of magic that affects it. Oh, that's it. Your parts are no longer worthy of experimentation and reintegration. Meanwhile, halfway across the battlefield, Issa has finally squirmed her way free of Zolov's disembodied crushing fist. Don't announce it so loudly, voice. I'm sneaking up on that eight-armed monk, and I don't want him to know what I'm planning until the last possible moment. Ooh, what are you planning, Issa? Duh! Sneak attacking Peck Peck! Ugh, my kidneys. I only have two of those. But you have eight arms, and several of them don't yet have razor fresh sticking out of them. I'm getting very tired of you penguins and your sneak attacks. Oh, join the club. Those penguins constantly steal all of the fish. Luckily, they can't climb trees, or we'd have no honey either. Honey tastes yummy. Glad we agree on that, Centaur. And bears don't share honey with anyone, especially horses. But I've seen you sharing honey with a horse. Spirit of the Swift Wind doesn't count. He's ferocious and noble, so he practically counts as a bear. Wait. I just realized something. What, pray tell, have you just realized? Do you need some of Father Makar's mind spiders to pry it from your brain meats? Oh, um, I just realized something else. I realized I need to quicken a mind blank so nobody sees what's coming next. Fine, but this had better not have anything to do with honey, fish, or other foodstuffs. Not so much. I just realized we're fighting a vampire. Um, yours almost correct. I'm not just vampires. But you're at least part vampire, so that means you're probably susceptible to a sunburst! Oh, gods! As Zoloff pointed out, he's not just a vampire. He's been feeding on a number of alien species for quite a long time. One of those species reacts quite differently to yellow-spectrum sunlight than most other beings. The vampire part of his physiology begins to burn, crack, and crumble immediately. But the alien ichor running through his veins reacts just as quickly to the sunburst, supercharging his strength, senses, and regenerative faculties. The result is a much stronger vampire mage whose body constantly off-gasses black, oily smoke. Ah, crap. Torea, you're up! At once, my lord. Come, spirit of the swift wind. Let us vanquish this particularly pollutive anomaly. While you all have been spending your time reaching a more interesting stalemate in this battle, the denizens of the hungering end have been drawing ever closer, and now the howls of the unmakers are clearly and constantly audible from just outside the courtyard. That's really bad. We need to get past this excellent band, or else we're all going to die. Sorry, Israel, I'm a huge fan. Don't tell Romande. 
But you're going to have to do without a shadow for a while. Scorching rays! Ouch! Oh, great! Do you know how long it'll take to grow this back? The longer the better if it means you can't compete with me for stage time. You heard the pixie and the disembodied voice. Stop flacking around and get these idiots out of our way. You, centaur, behold this symbol of stunning. What? Now disengage from him and get across the courtyard while my cadaver collector opens the gates. How is it going to open the gates when both of its hands are full? I'm glad you asked. It seems to have a decent tool in its hands already. I don't see any. The cadaver collector slams Doran Swift River into the great brazen bar separating the court guard from the Tower of the Sun. A sickened crack rings out as Joran breaks three vertebrae and seven ribs. Unfortunately, the other end of the courtyard has gotten a little more crowded. Um, why is all them guys has no eyes? And also, why is there hundreds of them? Didn't you read the Lord Seer's dossier? That is why we need to kill my brother and his companion. Because we don't want those things to follow them home. Like so many strays have followed Romande the hungering end makes no distinction between the two parties of adventurers as they tear into the closest targets they can find. The demon's eyeless sockets and gaping jaws erupt with black rays of entropic energy, firing all around the courtyard. Israyana, Shakes, Thrillon, and Smid each take direct hits, leaving them devastatingly injured and bleeding out. The hundreds of demons behind the first wave fire their chaotic rays in seemingly random directions, with the effect of breaking the strong force that binds the atoms of the courtyard together. If these things win, then reality ceases, which means all war ceases. Father Makar will not be pleased with that outcome. Ragnaroctopus Jones swings three of his eight arms around Issa's neck and then bounds across the distance to Tuxedo Beak, grappling him as well. Look at that. You see that? This place is a fucking multiversal metaphor for the rising sun, and you have led these things here to dismantle it. This is what we're trying to prevent, you stupid-ass penguins. Now stop squirming and help us hold them back. It's too late, Rag. We are totally overrun, and the end has breached the walls. So long. You know what to do now. Of course. Freeze abs the Red's hands. Freeze always has the second chance. Zoloff reaches into his robes and pulls his amulet from the folds. At the center of the circular amulet stands an angled gnome, like the arm of a sundial. The enhanced vampire holds the amulet aloft, then hurls it to shatter upon the ground. Time slows down, crawling and creeping to a slow halt before everything. If you does, peoples will die. Trillzians. Whole worlds resdukes to their basics, parsticles. The crime's not yet committed. Crimes have been witnessed by Darius Quaven. Lord, I see it. You have been sick. Quick, before they finish their speech, get through the gates and lock them behind us. Um, I guess with that, you're safe to rest for a little bit. Visit the 20-Sided Theater online at 20sidedtheater.com 
and follow the insufferable bastards through scryo-magical links that Master Shenouda and Thrimlock have established. You can follow Romande at Illustrious Row, Master Shenouda at Shenouda Necro Co, Thrimlock at Thrimlock, and Issa Featherfoot at Lady Featherfoot. The Twenty-Sided Theater is a joint production of Bear Industries and the Shenouda Necromancy Corporation. This episode stars Gabriel Avenant, Natalie Avenant, Blake Harder, Peridwin Quatrin, Chien Quatrin, and Rory Quatrin. With special thanks to Jonathan Avenante, Sierra Cyrimelli Lowe, and Michael Sozo for the use of their player characters. Written by Rory Quatrin and edited by Blake Parker. Music by Aaron 235, Circuit Soldiers, Coda, Degaltix, Fire Age, Miguel Angel Aldunce, Patashub, Sean Bailey, Stephen O'Brien, and VCMG. For a complete list of and links to all the music you heard on tonight's episode, visit the show notes at 20sidedtheater.com. Join us next time at the 20-Sided Theater. Katharan, are you there? I'm tapping into the elven thoughtscape again. Indeed I am, Katharan. That must mean that this is another exciting instance of Thrim and Rose Elven Corner. What's the topic of discussion today, Katharan? Well, Katharan, today we're going to show you how to make your tree mansion a little more upscale. Is this thing transmitting properly? How do I know I'm not just pissing off every dog within a hundred miles? Oh, the light is on. <laughs> Professor W.E. Slide here, ultra-genius, founder, CEO, lead experimental scientist, and main beneficiary of sliding tech industries. In my recent super-scientific travels, I've been encountering a great deal of undead, cloned, or mind-enslaved minions, many bearing the corporate stamp or uh, brand or... Sonar's correct. It's disgusting. But she's also wrong because it's distinctly anti-union. What was I talking about? Alright, these undead scabs bearing the stamp of the Shenouda Necromancy Corporation are taking away jobs from upstanding henchmen and taking food from the mouths of their hench children, often by turning everyone into zombie food. And that's exactly what I'm getting at! Do you know how expensive it is to pay for so many life insurance policies when you use union henchmen? Because here at Sliding Tech Industries and its subsidiaries, we use quality, organic henchmen using only the finest natural ingredients and labor relation processes. 
any rumors relating to experimental body modification, unknowing inhalation of experimental chemicals, or exposure of our henchmen to friction-reducing agents are purely that. Rumors! And completely inadmissible in a court of law. In closing, further use of such nefariously money-hoarding policies will force me to respond in kind. But good luck retaliating. Thanks to these hypersonic technologies, you can't see me. I'm virtually electric! I hope that was threatening enough. I hope they don't have zombie lawyers or anything. Uh, uh, you should probably hit the off switch before you say things like that. Oh, you gods! Um, Katharan, um, I had a little accident. Call the fire brigade! What have you done to my ancestral treehouse, Romande? What have you done? Did Sir Gnome push you up to this? <laughs> <laughs>